You're listening to the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Charlie Zimmerman. Thanks for joining us. Today, we'll start with a debrief, our roundup of the JPR News of the Week. Those stories include Shasta County's new public health officer, a decision to expand a natural gas pipeline, and upcoming local elections. JPR News Director Eric Newman is joined by reporters Roman Battaglia and Jane Vaughn. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, so, yeah, this is the debrief, our weekly roundup of the news. Um, maybe not everyone might uh, realize that we have another election coming up. Mm-hmm. It seems like mm-hmm. uh, there are always elections happening. Jane, uh, you've been covering some of the local election issues in both Oregon and California coming up on November 7th. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a brief summary of what's happening in Oregon coming up? Yeah, so Election Day is Tuesday, November 7th. If you don't know, um, the ballots in Oregon, um, at least in the in the counties that we cover, have already been sent out. Today's the last day for, for the counties that we cover, so you should get your ballot soon. So I'm going to run through quickly just the counties that we cover that have these local elections, and we also have all of this information on our website, on our new election guide, so you can check it out there and get more information. So in Josephine County, the big one is they're potentially forming a law enforcement service district, which would raise the property taxes 99 cents per $1,000 of assessed value. And that would be used to fund um, patrol and dispatch and evidence services for Josephine County. And then there's also in Josephine County a potential levy for the Applegate Valley Rural Fire Protection District, which also mm-hmm. includes uh, Jackson County. And then there's also the potential for a levy for the city of Grants Pass for funding police and fire. So lots of levies for um, funding fire and police. And then moving over to Jackson County, there's a couple for the fire protection districts there as well. So one of them is for potentially liquidating the Colstein Rural Fire Protection District. They've decided it could be um, better filled by the, the Jackson County um, coverage. And then there's also uh, the consideration of a tax levy renewal for the Rogue River Rural Fire Protection District. And then over in uh, Eagle Point School District, number nine, there's a question about issuing bonds, which would be used to do um, projects like creating a gym and upgrading security and renovating locker rooms and all of these sort of infrastructure improvements over there. And then in the city of Rogue River, there's a couple charter amendments. So one of them is about changing the mayor's term from two years to four years. And one of them is about repealing the term limits for the city councilors and the mayor. And then over in Curry County, we've got a triple potential recall in Brookings, Mm. which was, yeah, it's exciting one. Um, The effort was kind of sparked by the the reinstatement of their city manager, Janelle Howard, which happened back in January. And she had been caught shoplifting from a Fred Meyer last year and was placed on paid administrative leave and then was reinstated. So some, some people are unhappy about that. So the three people who have the potential to be recalled are the mayor, Ron Hedensgog, and then two city councilors, Ed Schreiber and Michelle Morosky. So that's in Brookings. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in Gold Beach, there's the consideration of adopting a tax on motor vehicle fuel dealers. And that money would be used to raise um, money for street repairs and maintenance and improvements, basically roads and transportation stuff. Mm-hmm. And that tax would be one cent per gallon throughout the year, and then they would raise it an additional three cents per gallon in the summer, May 1st through October So that would be like a gas tax. Yes. Yeah. And then in the city of Port Orford, there's the potential to renew a local levy to fund the Port Orford Police Department, just renewing something uh, there for the funding for the police. 
And then moving on to, to Douglas County, there's a couple school district ones. Uh, the Oakland School District, number one, is considering $6 million in bonds that would, again, be used to do all these infrastructure update type stuff. So constructing a new gym, securing the entryways, upgrading the softball field type of stuff. And if those bonds pass, then the district would receive $4 million in a matching state grant. So a total of $10 million there. And then there's another one uh, in the Sayusla School District, which also is in, in Lane County as well, where they're considering renewing a five-year local levy for school operations. And so that would be used, as they say, to sort of maintain the stability of the programs they have and provide resources for students who are doing online learning and, and mm -hmm. need that technology. And then last but not least, Klamath County. They are considering a five-year local levy to support the Klamath County Museums. So that includes... Klamath County Museum, Baldwin Hotel, and the Fort Klamath Museum. And, you know, voters have approved local levies for, for many years um, for these museums. And so they, they need uh, more support and, and money now. And so that money would be used to um, help the museums do their programs and expand public access and maintain those facilities. So that's the summary of our, our Oregon counties that have local elections coming up. <laughs> Great. Lots of small things that have a, you know, tangible impact yeah, on people's exactly. lives. So. Um, and uh, just to get more information about these different uh, decisions, you can go to our website. We have links to all the different counties where you can get more information about voting. So now we're going to turn to Roman. Roman, you looked at uh, the California elections within our coverage area. Um, tell us about what is happening in the area. Yeah, yeah. Not as much in California, but um, one thing to keep in mind for all of these elections is if you don't notice a ballot coming to your house, it's just because there's not an election in your area. So like mm -hmm. the Good elections point. that Jane covered are a lot of them for specific cities or mm -hmm. school districts. So you're only going to get a ballot in the mail if you're in one of those mm -hmm. districts or cities. So don't be more alarmed if you don't actually get a ballot unless you're in one of these districts. Um, in Shasta County, um, Shasta County has been the subject of a lot of stuff about hand counting ballots and, um, you know, the right wing majority in the Board of Supervisors had been planning to hand count ballots in elections, which has just been found to not be as good as machines. Um, but it caught the eye of the state and the state passed a new law that bans hand counting in California, which takes effect immediately. So in an interview with the Shasta Scout, um, the county clerk there had said that they are not going to be hand counting ballots hmm. and they will be using machines according to the law. <laughs> Um, so she said there's going to be no change to, you know, voters' experience during the election. You shouldn't expect anything different. Um, in Shasta County, there are a couple things going on there. There's the Gateway Unified School District election. Um, there's one seat on the school district board up for election. Um, then President Cheryl Clifford resigned back in February um, after there was controversy over firing of their school district's longtime superintendent. And so since then, they've kind of failed to appoint someone to fill that seat. And because they did that, it has to go to a special election. So there's a couple of different candidates on the ballot. Both have different opposing views on how they're going to approach things involving mm -hmm. parental rights and COVID and, you know, what they're focusing on. So um, you can definitely look at our election guide to see more about what they're interested in. Um, there's also some other measures there about um, forming a new fire district protection district in the city of Shasta, which is west of Reading, not Mount Shasta. Um, that would create a new fire protection district separate from the board that gives provides water to the community. And so that has some extra benefits for the community in terms of fire protection. And then the city of Mount Shasta is going to be considering raising their transient occupancy tax, which is basically on hotels and other short-term lodging. So that would go from 10 to 12 percent, expected to raise an additional $245,000 a year for the city, which is a lot for a small city like Mount Shasta. Okay. 
Great. Thanks for that California roundup, Roman. Um, one other California story that you covered this week was the, uh, the long-awaited appointment of a health officer in Shasta County. Um, it's been 17 months uh, that the county has not had one. Besides that, why is this an important event? Yeah, I mean, it took them a long time to hire a health officer. I mean, being without someone who deals with everything related to public health in the county um, has been a long time. They've had like the interim, um, the assistant public health officer kind of stepping in that role, but that's not their full-time job. And so they've kind of had to juggle different priorities and that's just put more work on the public health department. Um, What's interesting is how we got here, and that's mm-hmm. because the Board of Supervisors fired the last health officer, Dr. Karen Ramstrom. They ended up firing her. They didn't say it specifically, but this was amidst um, controversy that she was facing or criticism from some residents about her handling or her willingness to follow state restrictions and state laws around COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, isolation like masking, vaccination requirements, and stuff like that. She just was like, I'm going to follow the law. This is what the state law says and didn't want to, you know, not do that. But the supervisors had talked and were not happy about that and people criticized. So they fired her without cause Mm -hmm. um, 17 months ago. So that's kind of why this is an interesting situation. Um, And so why did it take so long to find a replacement for her? Yeah, so they, it, it took them a really long time, partially because, I mean, a, they basically failed to hire someone three times throughout this whole process. Um, the record searchlight has reported on how the different periods, I think they had initially found someone last August, but then that candidate declined after some community officials interviewed them. And then, you know, they were set to interview another finalist, but they pulled out after they found another job somewhere else. And then they also rescinded the offer to another candidate after they got a background check from them. So there's kind of been different reasons that they've not been able to hire someone finally. But also some have claimed when I've talked with them that the issue is just because Shasta County has scared away a lot of public officials. And so people are not, why would people want to come work for the county, especially in a big job like this, that's really public when they could just get fired by the board because that's what they did with the last health officer. So, you know, they fired the health officer, they scared away the county CEO, um, the a lot of county council uh, people, basically attorneys, have left recently, and, you know, and other mid-level managers from people I've talked to have left. So I think that's part of the reason why it's just been really difficult to hire a health officer. I mean, and health officers all over the country have been facing this, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. increased level of scrutiny and criticism just because of the pandemic. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so they did hire somebody. His name is Dr. John Moo. Um, what do we know about him? Yeah, so I think the interesting part about him is he kind of fits in with some of what the right-wing majority on the board likes about him is is that, you know, he's sort of been anti-COVID-19 restrictions um, in a lot of ways. Uh, he was part of this, like, COVID-19 public forum in Shasta County where um, him and a group of doctors signed an open letter basically, uh, you know, being against uh, masking of children in schools, um, being anti, you know, forced vaccinations, um, a bunch of different things around COVID and involving some misinformation. And I was reading into some of this forum stuff that they were promoting, and it looks like they kind of have been, you know, they promoted some medical misinformation stuff around COVID, including these like discredited treatments like hydroxychloroquine and Um, ivermectin and stuff like that. So they've been promoting some weird medical treatments that have sort of been discredited by the community. And um, that's sort of what he's been involved in in the past. And that's something some residents have been concerned about. I know that 
during the meeting when he got hired, he did talk about wanting to you know follow the science and like get make sure that people trust him and stuff. But we'll kind of see how that actually goes. Right, he's anti-mandate essentially. Yeah, it's not like he's necessarily anti-treatment stuff, but there was some you know there was some stuff when I was reading into the public forum about the treatments that that group had you know recommended and stuff. So there's some sort of things, but um, I think that we'll kind of have to see where that goes. Okay. Great. Eric, we're going to turn to you now. And you wrote a breaking story this week about a decision to expand a natural gas pipeline. And that decision was made by a federal regulator. So tell us how that decision relates to our area. That's right. Yeah. So on Thursday, um, yesterday, uh, an organization called FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which is based in Washington, D.C., approved an expansion of a natural gas pipeline. Basically, it's a, a pipeline that runs from the Idaho-Canada border down to southern Oregon uh, through Idaho-Washington, Oregon, ends in Malin. Um, and this is an expansion of this existing pipeline. So it would, it would add 150 million cubic feet per day of natural gas that can be moved through it. Um, it's called the GTN Express pipeline, and it's operated by this company called TC Energy. So um, FERC's decision basically is going to allow this expansion to take place. They're adding three compressor stations that are going to be built along the pipeline, which kind of allow this increased capacity. So there's been a lot of opposition to this pipeline project. Who's against it, first of all? And then why do they say that it's a bad thing? So there's been a lot of lawmakers along the West Coast who have been vocally opposed to it. That includes senators and representatives in uh, Washington and Oregon. Uh, not all of them, but many of them, both go governors in both states, all three states' attorneys general, uh, that is Oregon, California, and Washington, um, a host of environmental groups. Um, I should say it, the expansion has been supported by lawmakers in Idaho, which is the, the non-West Coast state that would get gas from this project. Basically, the biggest criticism is that adding investments in uh, a pipeline is going to make it harder for us to meet our own climate goals and laws in the coming year. We're basically investing in this infrastructure that is going to um, you know, allow us to use this less clean form of energy than many of the uh, more clean forms of energy that are being invested in right now with things like through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. So um, there are some other criticisms about how this pipeline could pose risks to public health and safety risks for communities living around them. Um, one estimate from the Washington Attorney General was that this increase in gas translates to 754,000 cars on the road each year. Wow. So, um, and it is moving natural gas, which is largely methane, which is a really potent greenhouse gas. It's about 20 times more potent than CO2. Okay, great. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, thank you, guys. That's it for this week's debrief. Thank you for listening. You can reach the newsroom with comments on our coverage and suggestions for things that we should cover in the future through our news tip line, which is on our website, ijpr.org. You can find this program and more on our website at jeffexchange.org, or you can subscribe on Apple or Spotify and all the other platforms. Don't go away. Stay with us for My Better Half and a profile of someone who provides sight and sound for film projects.